Springtime in the Northern Hemisphere. It's yonder. Welcome back to the Yonder Podcast. This is episode 11. I'm Jeff Robbins. We put out a new podcast every two weeks, and we talk to people who are thinking about remote work, distributed companies, telecommuting cultures, virtual being, <laughs> and we try to make sense of all of the language around it and... and uh, find the patterns and, and what works in working remotely. Uh, this week, I'm talking to Misty McLaughlin, who is the Vice President of Consulting at Jackson River, and also uh, helps organize um, Work in Place, which you can find about at workinplace.org. I think we've decided to call it a movement. I like that. A revolution! Uh Yeah. Great talk with Misty. I, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, Yonder is hiring. We are looking for a writer, blogger, journalist, social media person to kind of help us uh, create the revolution uh, on our side, at least. Um, and uh, you can find out about that at yonder.io slash jobs. You can find that job listing there. Um, everyone should know we've got more content coming out on Yonder. Uh, we've got weekly tips. Uh, this week I wrote a big rant about speakerphones and how they're ruining the remote work industry. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, if you get it on our email newsletter, you'll get those. Um, we're also posting more on social media. So follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those kinds of things. Yeah. More great stuff on the horizon. Let's get to our interview with Misty McLaughlin. Hi, Misty. Welcome to the Yonder Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so great to have you on. We were just saying as we were kind of gearing up here that like we've kind of been running in the same circles but have never actually talked to each other directly. So Finally, it's happening. It's exciting. <laughs> So, um, I, let's see, it was one of these things where I reached out and we found several ways that we were connected, but initially, uh, I was reaching out in your position at, at Jackson River. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, what Jackson River is and, and what you do there? Yes. So Jackson River is a virtual company. Um, we are about 30 people, so we are small. We've been around for nine years, um, but are still very much a kind of small startup-y software shop. Um, we have a headquarters in D.C. It's a couple of people who sometimes come to the same place and work there <laughs> in a co-working space. And otherwise, the rest of us are distributed all over the U.S. We don't have any international folks at present. Sometimes we do, um, or we have people who work for a period of time from somewhere else. Um, we're a group of coders, project managers, nonprofit consultants, 
um, and various other folks who have a software product for nonprofits called Springboard that helps them do digital marketing, um, online engagement, email engagement, that kind of thing with their supporters. So we have clients like the ACLU, the ASPCA, um, the Drug Policy Alliance, a whole bunch of clients on the progressive left, all of them nonprofit organizations. So that's us in a nutshell. Cool. You can't see me right now, but I'm I'm shaking my fist in the air in solidarity. <laughs> it's a great yeah, time. Yeah, right on. <laughs> it's an awful time and a great time. <laughs> There's a lot of good work to do. <laughs> uh, so wh- where are you located? Where are you talking to us from? I am in Portland, Maine, in the great white northeast. Yes. Uh, Portland, Maine. I, yeah, we're, we're, we're both in New England. You're in the top of New England. I'm in the bottom of New England down in, in Rhode Island. So I feel like Chico? I could open my door and, and shout and you'd hear me. But <laughs> we'll continue talking electronically as we are. <laughs> For a while. Keep me in the middle. It's, it's all relative, really. Um, um, yeah. So um, talk to me about... Um, We've also got we've also got these other things. We'll get into a couple of the other things uh, as we as we move along. But talk to me about um, the evolution of Jackson River uh, as as a virtual company. You're, you're calling it a virtual company. Um, yes. Uh, you know how how did it get started and how did it sort of evolve to have employees, vice presidential employees, working? <laughs> uh, you know, as far flung as as Portland, Maine. So our founders were in the nonprofit software world, working for bigger companies and startups for a number of years um, in kind of the early days of the web, the whole digital revolution. Um, And, you know, big software companies being what they were probably in the early aughts, uh, it was sort of ridiculous, I think, for a lot of them, um, our our founders, we have three, um, two of whom are still the the owners of the company. And um, I think that they were interested in issues of virtual work, but it was hard to pull off at the time. You know, the tools weren't totally there. Certainly the kind of traditional software company culture at that time, like just kind of immediately post.com was not there. And so the reasons that they left and decided to do their own thing um, were primarily about wanting to have better software options for nonprofits to be able to offer them open source tools and like best in breed solutions. So software essentially that corporations have access to. They wanted to bring that to the nonprofit space. But they also wanted to do this little experiment, um, which, you know, felt pretty revolutionary in 2008, 2009, um, which was about being able to have a really conscious, conscious, conscientious, intentional company and to be able to create that culture from scratch. So they always knew that it was going to be a virtual culture that, you know, we might sort of happenstance have people who were co-located, um, but that on the whole, they wanted to be able to hire great people wherever they were, um, and they wanted people to have the flexibility to live where they wanted to live and work how they wanted to work, as long as you know they were the right people. So they really set out to find the right people wherever they were and try to figure out how to build a culture around those people and what they brought to the table, instead of something that sort of starts with a place, an office, and then trying to figure out how you get the right people who are near that office and get them together every day and just sort of hope that culture happens out of that so that's the the short story of jackson river and how we came to be and i would say on the whole the experiment has has worked Uh, we have a pretty conscientious culture um and work on building that a lot and i have hired folks all over the place and grown pretty organically to be about 30 people 
So where where are your people located? Like, are they all in the U.S. or um, international? They are right now. We're all in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. but occasionally we've had folks who were international um, for a period of time. You know, people say, "Hey, I want to take my family here for a year and work," or sure. you know, "I'm gonna go do a what is it? What, what do they call it? The co-workation? I guess it's just a co-workation of one." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so people have gone elsewhere and, um, and, you know, and come back and kept their job. So right now we're all U.S.-based scattered all over the place through the three time zones in the U.S. But that will change, I'm sure. And, uh, and you use the – it seems like every company has different language around this, which makes um, doing this podcast a little bit of a challenge or writing <laughs> about this stuff because it seems like you need to write like remote slash distributed slash virtual yeah. <laughs> slash telecommute. And you, but you use the word virtual. Uh, is, there, is that just sort of how, how things evolved or was there a particular decision made around that? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. So um, there are four terms that I use somewhat interchangeably, <laughs> and um, I will just put them all out there. So there's virtual, which we use because that's how the company started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just and I think at that time it was a more common term to use. So we've just sort of said, and it's just become a way that we talk about things. That's a little bit habit. That is, we're a virtual company. Also, because we talk to nonprofits, a lot of the time when you say you're distributed, they they don't necessarily know what that means. That yeah. same culture doesn't necessarily exist in a lot of nonprofit organizations. Very different, you know, from the from the tech sector. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we talk about remote work and remote work practices. I feel like that's the term that is almost is like most universally recognized. People just when you say remote work, they know that that you mean that some people aren't in an office looking at each other face to face. Then distributed is probably my best term of preference, just for talking about you know what happens, like how the collaboration happens, the fact that you know pe- some people may be in an office, some people not. It might be a, might be a mixed model, um, but what we are all is distributed from at least some of the people that we're working with, and probably our clients too. For those of us who have of external clients. And then there's this other term I will throw out there, um, which is a side project that I work on, but a, a passion project near and dear to my heart, which is work in place. Work in place. Um, some people think it's work and place, but it's work in place. Um, so yeah, I can talk more about that if you like. Yes, please. I, I know some about work in place. Uh, I, I have been sort of peripherally involved uh, in, in that, but t- talk more about it. Yes. <laughs> so you're not peripherally involved. You're on the advisory board. So near and dear <laughs> well, to the work in place. It's always initiative. Uh, hard to know how much the advice of the advisory board is adhered to. So I, you know, don't want to uh, assume. <laughs> Your word is law. Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> So um, work in place is interesting because while it is partly kind of an organizational perspective, you know, so so far I've been talking about what it's like to be inside of an organization that works this way. Um, The work in place initiative was started because we realized that there were all these other aspects of remote workers' lives that just weren't really on the radar screen. So what is the impact of, of doing distributed work on individuals, on families? 
families on working in this new way. Mm-hmm. Um, on communities, you have lots of communities. And I mean, where I live in Maine is a, is a really great example. Not a lot of jobs here. A lot of people who want to live in Maine have to bring their jobs with them. So it's a really fascinating place in that so many of the people that I know are, are folks from elsewhere who brought their jobs with them and are now looking at how do they have a long-term life here? How do they craft a life that's going to be one remote job after another? That's the only way that they can stay here. Um, so there are all of these other impacts on places, on cities and regions and on networks and communities, and even at the individual household level, um, that are things that, you know, day to day, when I talk to my coworkers about what it's like to be in a virtual company and how we work together as a team, we're not dealing with all of those other issues. Like, how do I meet people in the place that I live when I don't have coworkers right. here? Right. Um, so Working Place was designed to sort of talk about some of some of those issues as well as the policy impacts of remote work. Um, so so I'll, I'll talk about Working Place and I use that somewhat interchangeably with distributed work. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really interesting angle. Um, you know, on this on the podcast, uh, I often ask people about the pros and cons of having a, a, a distributed company. And usually people talk about it in terms of culture and morale and productivity and, uh, um, you know, sort of the efficiency of, of the business. But, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't talk about it is like lots of people end up finding their spouse, <laughs> you know, yeah. their, their, their mates, their friends at, at, at work, uh, people who they, you know, go out Play bowling with and things like that. And if you're spread out across the country, you know, how, where does that, what is there's, you know, what's the social impact of that? Uh, Absolutely. Um, and, and, and where does that stuff come from? Is that something that can be served elsewhere? And if so, where, um, and, and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Those are all really great questions. And I mean, really, there's nobody, I mean, we're, we're trying to do this as an initiative, but nobody's really tackled that. I feel like that's some of the frontier of the future of work that like the impact on the rest of our lives in the whole kind of work life equation. It's like, all right, well, so what happens to the rest of our lives when work is decoupled from a place when that's not the central place that you go every single day to meet people and to, you know, grow and deepen your roots in a place and that sort of thing. But, you know, there are also um, some interesting questions that this brings up that do feed back into organizations. So, you know, looking at like what kind of community supports are needed um, for people to be able to work remotely also brings up some questions about um, like policies and urban planning and those kinds of things. So, you know, some of the issues that we've touched on that I think are germane to yonder are like, um, you know, tax policies. I know that like for my company, for Jackson River, every time we hire someone in a new state, because they're not where we are centrally headquartered, even though we don't really have a headquarters where we're registered, we have to like navigate a whole new tax policy to figure out how to hire them as an employee. Now, freelancers, contractors, that's a little bit different. So I will bracket that off. But we hire full-time employees. And so it's just so complicated to navigate that. And so I'm realizing that some of the, some of what's needed policy-wise, is it just just about making um, remote work, distributed work easier for organizations to do? Because there are a lot of barriers right now. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're talking about workinplace.org is the is the website if people want to uh, play along at home. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and and yeah, all of these kinds of kinds of things. Uh, one of the things I've been uh, thinking about is is you know we have decades and centuries of of sort of uh infrastructure and um government um support for co-located companies um uh and so you know an, an example of this is like oh okay portland would be a great place for um um people who who are working remotely to work from it's a great town there's water there's lots of things to do in the summer there's uh, all kinds of fish and 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 uh, great aquarium and uh, really great restaurants and it's a low cost of living um so do you approach like the chamber of commerce because yeah. they kind of short out right this is this like kind of old way of thinking about things because totally. the chamber of commerce says oh this is great so we could get tax money from all these companies moving to town and we say no the companies aren't moving to town <laughs> right exactly <laughs> that's exactly what we're encountering so i don't know if you mind if i get a little biographical please here. do yes um, and, I, and by the way, I mean, I throw that question back out there. I feel like asking people what their remote work biography is, it leads to so many interesting conversations. So I'm always curious to hear from people like, how did you come to be working in a distributed organization or on a distributed team? Do you like it? You know, what's, what's the evolution been like? How has it changed your work? That kind of thing. Um, so for me, I've been doing this for 10 years this year. I was working for a software company in Austin. Um, I had gotten out of grad school. My husband and I really wanted to leave. He was a freelance writer. And so we cast about and found a place and decided we wanted to spend a year in Portland, um, then maybe go somewhere else, which, of course, didn't happen because quality of life was so great once we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to my, my boss and asked, well, um, you know, do you think that I could work remotely for a while? And she just had this blank look on her face and said, of course, why would you need to be here? Like, <laughs> it was a <laughs> foregone conclusion, but there were no policies around it. There was sort of nothing in the organization. There weren't many other people doing it. So I had to sort of strike out and figure out how to do this and stay really connected to the work culture. So fast forward, we move to Portland, we get here, we're doing it. I'm navigating, you know, the organizational dynamics. Um, and at some point, uh, probably, I don't know, five years ago, there was a report that came out from the state of Maine on um, just kind of economic impacts of shifting worker dynamics. And my husband and I realized that we weren't reflected in that data at all. In fact, as we started to dig into it, even though we knew tons of other people like us who were doing this, um, there wasn't any way to count us. Like we were basically counted as working at the headquarters of the place that we worked, even though we paid taxes in the state, even though we are really committed to being here and had bought a house and decided we were going to be here for the long haul. But there was just no way in the economic models to sort of factor us in. So we went with our story and approached um, a local nonprofit called Creative Portland. And there are a lot of these nonprofits and kind of places like Portland, sort of, you know, small or mid-sized cities, even large cities like Detroit, right, that are that are really trying to look at um, composition of the tax base and, you know, thinking about what's their economic growth strategy. These are not chambers of commerce, but nonprofits that are thinking about like, all right, what's the 
the culture of the place and how do we want want to constitute it. So for Creative Portland, just as a kind of a case study, we went to them and said, hey, we think that you probably want more remote workers like us. Um, the state's strategy has always been to try to bring in um, big businesses from away, but it's just failed again and again. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's hard to relocate to a place like this. We're kind of remote. Um, and they were really interested in that as a potential growth strategy. So we sort of have partnered on this project and used this region as a bit of a, again, like a case study in how similar areas could work with individual remote workers to try to meet their needs, to try to like, you know, create, um, to help ease the move, to help them, you know, be able to land and, you know, plug into a social network, but also to figure out what resources might be available to them. Even thinking about how cities and regions can partner with companies to look at how the like policies that are shared between them could be mutually beneficial. So there's, you know, all, all kinds of stories. Like the city of Atlanta, I think, formed a partnership with Coca-Cola. Not that Coca-Cola is ever going to go all remote. Obviously, they have workers all over the world, but they have a big base there. And the idea was just to, like, for the purposes of, you know, reducing pollution and commute times, to try to take this one big company and help them think about how they Im- institute more of a remote work policy, even a part-time remote work policy. Policy. So there are all these creative examples like that of collaborations between businesses or, you know, the for-profit sector and the public sector or nonprofits where they're trying to kind of figure out, okay, there's something in this remote work thing for all of us. We know that it's either going to happen without us figuring out how to navigate it, or we can get in front of it and try to figure out how do we form partnerships and work on policies that are going to have great environmental impacts, great, you know, organizational impacts, um, and great impacts on place. Yeah. You know, if you've ever sat in uh, Atlanta traffic, you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would I would donate a whole lot of money to reducing the traffic in Atlanta. <laughs> but but it, but yes, I mean just generally generally speaking there's 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 a lot of inefficiency in sort of the conventional process, right? You know, when when most people are are getting in their car and doing 45 minutes of commuting each direction to go sit at a laptop uh, in in their office and not talk to anyone all day like, uh, exactly. <laughs> maybe this exactly. could be done in a more efficient way for everyone. Uh, and yeah, 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 good stuff. Um, is there other other stuff that's being being thought about? I mean, what are you, what are you calling work in place at this point? It's an initiative. It's a it's a it's a project. Yeah, just, just it's a project. <laughs> it's something to rally people around uh, to to get some thinking happening and. Uh... Um, yeah, it's in an exploratory phase. I would say, you know, we're we're pretty early on in having identified this problem. I mean, and, and let me just be really clear. I feel like there are lots of people working on questions of remote work and flexible work. You know, there's um, remote.co and that whole initiative that is about just, you know, a kind of home for remote jobs. There's um, a nonprofit called One Million for Work Flexibility. I, I mean, I know you're familiar with those folks. You might mm-hmm. you might even be on their advisory board. 
um, but you know that's doing great work on thinking through um, you know remote work, distributed work as a movement. Um, you know, so thinking about the policy angle, thinking about mobilizing people, thinking about what people need. Like there are all of these organizations. You know, the the work family people who are kind of coming at it, researchers from a lot of different angles. So we're really trying to look at partnership opportunities, but kind of thinking it from our perspective about how you put together the organizational perspective with the individual and family perspective with the place perspective, like how you get those things talking together to come up with creative solutions that will benefit all of those different sectors. Yeah. 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 I've said this before on the podcast, but there's a lot of resources that, you know, oftentimes people are sort of focusing on the remote workers themselves. And I think that's great, Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't really help to prime the pump or fill the well, you know, where right. do these jobs come from? How, how does the economics of, of that work? How do companies figure out how to manage people and, and, and stuff like that? And that's the, that's the stuff that I, I'm particularly interested in and in talking about and figuring out how to create all those remote jobs so that people can work from wherever and, uh, and, and enjoy that lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you've you've done this at Lullabot, and it's definitely the case at Jackson River. We have these amazing little test beds that are organizations that have this fundamental commitment to it. It's not a side program or, or you know, a hobby like, oh, we have a couple remote workers. Let's see what we can do with this. It's, it's core commitment to the organization. And so, you know, just I, I so admire that you started Yonder to get these companies talking to each other. So I, you know, I feel like sometimes, particularly in tech, we can be a little bit like Lone Ranger-ish, you know, we're out, like we're working on our project with our people. But in fact, we have so much to learn from each other and we have these great Petri dishes. Like I I really hope that these conversations are just like, we're just continue to bring people into them and figure out what it is that we can learn and really like what the best practices are. Because that's still so emergent, I feel like, and still kind of idiosyncratic by organization. Yeah, yeah. And so talk to me about um, the uh, sort of the interaction, how, where do I start this sentence? You also do consulting uh, at at Jackson River for nonprofits, and sometimes that ends up talking about remote work as well. Uh, sort of helping them like I, I'm interested to sort of hear uh, kind of vicariously from their perspective about what's so interesting about all of this. Yes. Okay. So let me just, I'm going to back up and say a little bit more about Jackson River, if that's okay. Please by, do. Yes. Okay. Super. So, um, so we do, I, you know, I said we were a software company and we are a software company, but like a lot of software companies, there are other things that we do. Um, so we also build Drupal websites for nonprofit organizations. Um, and we also do consulting and the consulting is interesting. I would say this isn't specific to nonprofits. This is, you know, anybody ever who's worked in tech knows that when you sell software that is not just straight out of the box software to any person or organization, 
they're going to need some help. Um, and often what you discover is that, you know, the technology need is actually the easiest need to satisfy. There are lots of other needs that have, that are, that are complex and far ranging. Um, so, you know, people needs and process needs and structure needs. So what happens for us is that um, nonprofit organizations come to us and say, you know, I have it, we have a new president and, you know, we have, we're going to, we want to make a big software purchase. We're ready to buy some new marketing software. Or, um, you know, they'll say, you know, we think we have a problem and we're pretty sure we just need new technology to solve it. Um, but we're really, um, we're really consultative in our work with them and really hands-on and sort of become a part of their team. You know, most people know this about nonprofits, but even the very largest nonprofits do not have enough resources to do the, the work that they're setting out to do. So they're often, you know, very under-resourced, very bootstrapped, um, and they sort of bring us in to be a part of their team for a period of time. And what we frequently discover is that even when they're very clear that what they need is technology, they actually need human work too. They need, um, you know, they need to think about the processes for how they do their work, or they need to think about whether they have the right people in the right roles based on what they're trying to achieve. So we end up doing a lot of management consulting, a lot of organizational development work with nonprofits, um, you know, sometimes in an ongoing way and sometimes just, you know, as we're doing a project with them to help them get set up to be successful with technology for the long haul. So we are never explicitly doing consulting around remote work. But what I find when I go into these organizations, I mean, this is this happens so frequently, is that um, they're trying to figure out as nonprofits how to connect with their supporters across space and time. So that's one element of a remote dynamic. You know, frequently they're never in the same room as their supporters. So they don't necessarily know those folks, who they are and how to connect with them. Um, frequently they are, they, they themselves, the nonprofits, have people who are distributed all over the place, or they're doing complex international work, so they have people in the field, um, and they don't exactly know how to navigate that. I would say nine times out of ten, organizations will tell me that they're co-located. Like, in their mind, they have a model that they all work together. There might just be a few exceptions here and there, when sometimes, like, 50 to 75% of their staff are actually spread out in the field or even in regional offices. Um, and so I, I see these kind of um, remote work dynamics sort of threaded through the organization, but people don't see that they're there. These dynamics are invisible to them. So some of the work that we do, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes on in these engagements, but some of the work that we do is just trying to make those invisible dynamics visible to people. So it's like, well, there's a breakdown in this process. It's actually because you've never met this person who you're working <laughs> with and your work is really interdependent uh -huh. and you need better tools or you need better processes to figure out how to close that gap. Right. And by the way, let's talk to your leadership and make sure they understand that they do actually have a distributed organization, even though they don't think that they do. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, so, um, what, what are those things? I mean, what are, what, what makes, uh, a, what has worked well at Jackson river and, uh, and when you're, you're sort of educating some of these nonprofits about how to communicate better, um, you know, work better together despite not being together. Um, <laughs> uh, what works? What, what, what's the, 
what's the stuff? Uh, what do you recommend? <laughs> I, okay, I realize well, this is a, a vast reaching question, but what comes to mind? Okay, so a few things. <laughs> this is a huge question. You got to stop me if I'm yeah. going on too long about this. <laughs> tell me, please I tell could... me how to run a remote company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Jeff, let me tell you. You wrote the book on it, but I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I think f from my perspective, and this doesn't actually apply to Jackson River, I w but I would say for a lot of other organizations, like first they have to know that they have a problem. And by that, I mean, like in the old AA language, like they have to understand that they are actually doing distributed work, even if they're not a fully distributed team. And so this was an interesting thing in moving from the software company that I worked at before Jackson River, which was actually a multi national company. Um, but they had a big headquarters in Charleston, South Carolina, and they were like, yeah, no, this is our headquarters. This is where our people work, even though they had offices all over the world and tons of remote workers. But you couldn't get them to think about the fact that they still treated it like it was an exception or it was mm -hmm. ad hoc. And just as importantly, their clients were everywhere. Like, even for organizations that are truly centralized, if they have clients, frequently in a services organization, those clients are not face to face with them day to day. So, you know, even the purists, it's not that pure. It's just it's just not cut and cut and dried. So what actually I, I really loved in coming to Jackson River was that you didn't have to convince people that they were doing distributed work. It was built into the DNA of the company. Um, and so I've had this kind of side-by-side -side comparison over the years from you know what, what my clients do and what my previous employer did to how we've done things at Jackson River. So I think it just, it's, it is a hundred percent help to just start by saying, "Hey, we're doing distributed work, some or all of the time, and we need to act like it." Um, it sort of resets the conversation to a frame of inclusion that is about how the work gets done, and not just you know who's sitting in a room together. Um, so I think that's probably number one. Um, number two, there really are skills that are unique to remote work that I don't think we talk about enough um, because a lot of them are soft skills. Like, let's face it, a lot of the stuff is stuff that some people have an aptitude for and other people really have to learn it. Relationship building is really key and not just this person is fun to be around or good to work with, but active relationship building. So both doing things to cohere a team so that, you know, people have a sense of community and a sense of belonging and a sense of accountability and responsibility to each other, but so that individuals learn the skills that they need to be able to go out and um, build a relationship with someone they might never be face-to-face -face with, but where there's, there's trust that happens and that's established there. Um, I was once on a panel and someone in the audience stood up and said, I really feel like we are, it was a, actually a high school teacher, and she said, I feel like we're really doing a disservice to our students and that we're not, like none of our job preparation is about how to be a remote worker because hmm. nobody's really talked about what those skills are. And I would love to teach them if someone would just tell me, I want to prepare my students for the future ways of working. I guess so. I also sort of feel like um, there's, there's sort of a generational thing sort of that things like 
uh, Instagram, Snapchat, yeah. uh, Facebook, you know, creating relationships online are something uh, that kids are learning much more inherently uh, than than those of us who who didn't grow up in the mobile gen- generation uh, and and. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and and kind of take to this virtual communication stuff a little bit, you know, virtual relationship stuff a little bit more, more readily. Um, but there is there, you know, there definitely there's an in between because uh, that stuff misses a lot of the a lot of the uh, you know pieces um, around. Uh, you know, I oftentimes hear. Um, friends who are very kind of, you know, oriented towards the online Facebook mobile kind of stuff like, oh, I never use the phone app on my phone. You know, <laughs> they they kind of are averse to real-time right. communication, you know, and and I think that there's value to to both types of communication, particularly, you know, when talking about pr- productivity and and connectedness as a, as a company um and just kind of being a human. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so generationally, each generation is bringing different stuff to the workplace in terms of like how to be a human, <laughs> like what their defaults are, what they know how to do. So I feel like millennials and like young workers coming into the workforce, they totally get the technology. They don't have to learn. They don't have to they don't have to learn how to navigate the subtleties of online communication or any of those things. You know, like that that is native. But how to operate in a professional register is a totally different ballgame. Right, right. Um, right. And What's okay to post on your work social network, right? You're like, you know, when you've got, I don't know, Yammer or Slack or whatever set up, you know, like, uh, it's not okay to post the drunken pictures or whatever. Like, this is work, although it re- resembles a lot of those online communications that you're so used to, you know, it's a different, different venue. Exactly. And, um, how do you, how do you actually get something done with somebody? It's one thing to like to chat. It's something totally different to work on complex problems together across space and time. And even like big multi-year projects, that's a thing. Um, resolving difficult stuff like knowing when to pick up the phone and how to handle those phone conversations. Like I really um, have been interested over the years in the idea that in some organizations there could be sort of um, like you work up to remote work or distributed work Mm -hmm. where, you know, junior staff come in um, and they get mentored by someone. So they kind of learn what it is to be in a professional culture or an office culture. And over time they're gaining the skills that they need and doing some of the like foundational work that will then allow them to take that and go have a remote job or go be remote part-time or spend half of the year abroad or whatever it is that they want to do. But where there's there's some orientation to what it means to be in the professional world and what the expectations are of working with people, even like across generations, how do you how do you do that? Like we, we all need to learn that. Um, and that's part of just being a good worker, period, like being a professional. But it is also really important to particularly if you're going to have a heavily distributed work culture. I like that. Yeah, I like that idea of sort of working up to, you know, it's not too much of a threshold. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, 10 years in, we're talking about six months, three months, you know, Uh, and and this seems to be a, um, 
a thread. Uh, um, I had Dan Mall on uh, a previous podcast. Hi. Go back into the yonder archive for that one. Uh, uh, and he was talking about having um, apprentices and, and sort of helping people to kind of get on board um, with um, the kind of work that he does uh, around web design and development. And, um, and he has them in his, he, they come to Philadelphia and they work with him. Um, it's, it's, I think it's not so much um, that it's, it's not that it's it's a difficult thing or that it's uh that it's something that you need to hold someone's hand. I think it's more that there's so much information that needs to be shared. It's that there's there's you know, you need to to educate uh visual, visually and uh um uh yes. like t- it's a touching you know uh, kinesthetic learning and and uh and sounds and pr- and present you know it's it's kind of something you kind of need to be there to sort of just sort of see and be able to model it right like i'm right. i'm working remotely what does that look like you know now now that you've seen it you kind of ha- you know have have steeped in it for a bit now you go home and work remotely. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like it's all about modeling and steeping and then letting somebody do it. But then there, you know, it's interesting because right there are all these levels of of learning this stuff. So becoming a remote manager, like managing mm. distributed teams, that's a whole other level. And I mean, I feel like honestly, of all of the people in all of the organizations who are underserved in terms of their ability to do their work, remote managers, like that's just a, tough job and for me I my first management job I was managing a distributed team of eight people and I was distributed so like it was a centralized company but my particular team happened to be distributed and I was too so I was learning how to be a manager at at least it was a a level playing field within your team I mean the worst situation is like they're in the office and you're not you're not but you're the boss it's impossible (laughs) yeah Yeah, it is. It is. And most organizations will sort of, I mean, and I'm, you know, maybe not so much in the in the virtual company, but most organizations that have a mixed model, they just don't equip their remote managers. And I keep using the word remote just because I think, you know, it's easy and it's shorthand, but I really mean (laughs) where, where, you know, somebody is not co-located with all of their team. Um, And so often, you know, managers are just left to figure this stuff out on their own and surprise, surprise, like the relationships with remote workers don't work out a lot of the time or, you know, their team is struggling to cohere or they have performance issues and they have no idea how to handle it. And then for a lot of organizations, I think the snowball effect becomes that then it looks like remote work is the thing that's not working Mm -hmm. or an individual worker is the thing that's not working instead of the fact that it's a systemic issue of like under enabling these folks um, who, who have a hard job to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um that that it's about under enabling is kind of a synonymous synonymous word with over controlling, right? Right. right. <laughs> it, exactly. it's 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 an autonomy problem, a lack of autonomy. Uh yep. you're not allowing people to work uh to to kind of you know find themselves and and find their their balance um because there there will be some initial uh inefficiency in in 
allowing people to kind of stumble and make mistakes and uh and and stuff like that but uh but in the in the end it becomes more of a self managing well, self managing isn't quite the right word but but you know people find their their own ways of being efficient and, and manage their efficiency on their own uh which is which is what i think micro people who are micromanaging think that they're mm. doing is they're they're sort of managing the productivity of their people but it, and you know it's more like slave driving really oh. it's just i've got this whip this is how i keep the productivity i just keep whipping the people you know and and it yeah. turns out when you when you take a sick day and you stop whipping them they stop working uh, <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. You set up the model, and the not model. To, not to mention, happen. oftentimes they get the hell out of there because it doesn't feel nice. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I one of the things that I love about distributed work is that people who are people who work well in autonomous environments can. I mean, it's like supercharging that work. You know, I mean, some people don't work well in that sort of environment and need certain kinds of support or certain kinds of structure to make it work, but people for whom that model is a fit, you know, once, once they're used to working that way, it's really a fit. Mm -hmm. Like they are just, I mean, in my experience as having been a remote manager, but also, you know, just being part of a company where everybody is, is virtual m people who are suited to it. Once they kind of learn the ropes and figure out what they're doing thrive, mm -hmm. just absolutely thrive on it. Like that's not going to be a surprise to anybody listening to this podcast, but I think uh, characterizing it as an autonomy problem is exactly right. What What's your preference on in-person, you know, actually physically getting together? Uh, do you think that teams can be fine just never having stood in the same room together? Or do you feel like it's important for people to get together every so often? It's helpful. I would say in some cases, not critical, but really helpful to have some face-to-face -face interaction that you're relying on. I mean, even if you can't be together face-to-face, -to -face, at least doing some video conferencing, at least sort of, I mean, I, I know they're like robot tools. <laughs> I haven't used one of them yet, but that will like sort of walk around and, you know, people. Put, you put your face at the end of a pole with yes. wheels on the bottom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I do feel like that sort of both the visual cues and the body language, but also just honestly, the relationship building that comes from even a brief period of face to face time um, can be really helpful. And I think it's it's kind of building the relationship capital and the culture capital in an organization that you rely on when then things get hard. So it's sort of I feel like the face to face time is putting money in the bank. So at Jackson River, we do a once a year all company retreat. And it's optional. There are there are a couple of people who feel like, um, no, I, I did not sign up for this whole being with you people all the time thing for <laughs> 48 hours. But almost everyone goes. Um, and it is a, a bit of a co-workation in that we, we go to a nice place. We all get away together. Um, and it's part play and it's part work. But I have to tell you, like six months down the road, when what happened at the retreat is long forgotten, the relationship work that happens there is something that we're appealing to every yeah. single day. Yeah. 
Um, and then, of course, there, you know, I think one thing that's built into our culture as a virtual company is that we definitely budget for interim as needed face to face meetings. So as a whole company, we only get together once a year. But for specific project work or topic meetings or, you know, process development, that kind of thing. And certainly for client work, we do come together in these small working groups face to face periodically. Um, and it's sort of as needed. And because we budgeted for it and because we don't have the costs of the overhead of a big office, we, it's just, it's, it's easy. It's something we do. And we all sort of know we can say, hey, we should get together and work on this thing. And our management is really supportive of that pretty universally. Are there other things that you feel like add to the process uh, um, that help create culture um, for yes. people who are not working physically together? So yeah, a few things in 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 the Jackson River world. Um, one is that we have a really rich uh, Slack culture, um, which I guess you know the vast majority of virtual organizations do. We used to use Skype; it's now Slack. But um, I mean, same same basic thing, which is you know we have um, team specific channels and project specific channels, and certainly we do a lot of direct messaging. But we also have a kind of all staff chat, which is. <laughs> which is very much about what's happening in the world and what people are dealing with. Sometimes it's it's tech stuff. Um, but a lot of the time, for instance, these days, it's like, okay, this thing happened politically. We all just need to take a moment and breathe. Um, it happens that we're, <laughs> that we're a company. What, what, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much. <laughs> Nothing much. <laughs> Been pretty quiet around here lately. <sighs> um, and it, and it, that honestly, like that, that, that sense of, all being able to come together like synchronously, you know, yeah. when around something that's happening and just kind of sound off or, you know, post a distraction or whatever. Much as I think from the outside, you might say, this looks like distraction. From the inside, it's actually culture happening. Um, and it's really beautiful to have the archives of that because you can, you know, you remember somebody said something and you can go back and take a look at that. You sort of have the whole relationship history all there. Um, so definitely the tools that we use, of course, promote that. Mm -hmm. And then we have a weekly all-staff call. Um, and we're still small enough that we can all be on video conference together. We can see each other's faces. And we go around and talk about what people are working on. Um, not everybody talks every week, um, but we all do sort of have a chance to report in on what we're working on, interesting things we're finding, potential impacts to other projects. And so I'd say the call is probably 50%, similar to our retreat, it's 50% work stuff, you know, what's coming up, what's happening, and 50% play. So every week we share lunch tips and we um, we hear an animal fun fact about some <laughs> obscure animal or a <laughs> Which, I have to say, we all love that. I feel like it's, we've all become animal geeks. The animal kingdom is fascinating. It's fascinating. <laughs> we have, like, good idea theater and bad idea theater that reflect, you know, like, people people bring links of, like, awful things happening in the interwebs that week and hilarious things. Like, we just, we sort of do that as a way of having some regular play together. Um and it's and it's lovely. You really do feel like you get to know people, and you you kind of keep tabs. Like, oh, this person's working on this thing, so you know when you have a question, who might be a good person to start with? Because we're not all just off doing our own things on our separate projects. Yeah, I've always said that there's sort of a hurdle to get over, particularly for uh, companies, um, you know, sort of 
co-located companies, particularly ones with a long legacy, um, there's a hurdle for them to get over in um, in moving to a more more remote, distributed, virtual. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the words. Um, in yeah. that, those companies have usually tried to weed out so much of the peripheral uh, kind of fun communication from meetings and uh, and other sort of work communication. Uh, you know, people sort of talk about, oh, there was this stupid email thread going around at work or, you know, th- those kinds of things where it's like, I don't want to know about your kids. I don't kn- want to know about things, you know, it kind of when that stuff is happening or it's available peripherally in, in an office, you know that you could go in and talk to people about their kids. Um, uh, it it ends up getting kind of weeded out of, of the, the work Yes. Channels. And, and so the idea of inserting that back into the work channels, uh, um, can seem counterproductive. Um, but again, it's just that it's the humanity of it. It's the, it's the human connectedness of it. And, um, for companies like Jackson River and, and Lullabot, like it's kind of built into the DNA. Like we would have those all team calls once, twice a week. And, you know, it was half like, what did you do with your weekend? And half, half, what are you going to do with your work week? And, uh, um, and, both of those were just as important to know that, you know, the people's kids went swimming for the first time over the weekend or whatever, you know, and, and, and that they were going to get, get work done this week. Like, um, it's, it's more of a holistic human connection, but under the heading of work, uh, which I think is a little bit, can feel like a, a miscategorization for someone who's coming from a more, more conventional background. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, it feels like a way more integrated sort of real human authentic way of working. I mean, I use all of those, you know, adjectives with like some, <laughs> with some, give some caveats. Sure. But our, one of our founders always says, you know, bring your whole self to work. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. Um, and I mean, that has that is just sort of built into the way that we do things. And so instead of, you know, instead of feeling bad when you're like, oh, hey, I have to take my kid to the doctor. I'm sick. Instead, you're reporting out to the rest of the staff. Hey, I won't be around for the next few hours. I'm doing the thing that is really important. And once that's done, I'll get back to work and we can trust each other that that that's what's going to happen. And so there's just a really, I feel like it leads to a lot more honesty in terms of like the other things that we're thinking about, the things that, you know, are feeding into our work and making us better and the things that just, you know, are, are really going on. And ex- um, acceptance okay. as well. Acceptance. You know, it's the yes. other side of the honesty. It's, it's allowing people to be honest that they might be accepted as, as having normal human lives where people <laughs> need to take kids to the doctor or whatever needs to happen, you know, the and, horror, the yeah. horror of having anything else going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Wow, this is what a great conversation. Um, thanks so much for for coming on. Did we cover everything you you wanted to talk about? Um, I should say, so wh- where can people find you online? So Jackson River, we didn't mention, is uh, at jacksonriver.com. As we mentioned, work, work in places, workinplace.org. 
That is right. And those are the best places. I mean, LinkedIn, of course, for me, for our company, our software product springboard is reflected in all of those places, Jackson Rivers software. Um, And uh, pretty easy to find online. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Such a pleasure to talk to you. And I love listening to the podcast. So it's great to get to be a guest. Super. Such an honor. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, thanks for all your all your thoughts. Um, and if people have questions, um, you can always comment uh, on the on the podcast itself, and we'll do our best to get back to you in one way or another. So, thanks, Misty. Thanks, Jeff. Bye bye. Bye bye.